Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. We will be starting a new season of Jury Duty on February 28th with our examination of the Kenosha, Wisconsin murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. You can find a trailer for that new season in our feed. However, before we start Jury Duty Season 4, we are revisiting the trial of Robert Durst, which we covered in Seasons 1 and 2 of this podcast. Jury Duty has secured exclusive interviews with two of the jurors, Carmen Kliteka and John Okanishi, who were part of the Los Angeles panel that convicted Robert Durst of the murder of his good friend Susan Berman. In our last episode, we heard their memories of the testimonies of key figures in the investigation of Kathy Durst's disappearance. In this episode, we hear from Carmen and John as they recall the testimonies of witnesses who offered evidence that Robert Durst was involved in Kathy's death and that Susan Berman helped him cover it up. At the end of the episode, we will relive some of the key moments that they mention by playing excerpts of the trial audio that they reference. That's all coming up right after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We begin today's excerpts from my conversation with juror number 12 and jury foreperson Carmen Kleteka by asking her about her memory of the testimony of Karen Minatello. The manager of the apartment building where the Durst lived testified about finding some of Kathy's medical texts jamming a trash compactor in the basement shortly after her disappearance. Her name was Karen Minatello. What do you remember about her testimony? Karen Minatello... Her testimony was very moving for me. The first time I heard what she was going to be talking about was at the opening statement when John Lewing was presenting some of the evidence that he was going to be showing. It was very, very compelling. She was very credible. And I liked the way that she presented the information that she had. She was very well organized and she had notes. And she took us through all of the events of that day when she discovered that the trash compactor was jammed and troubleshooting and then finding out what the cause of the jam was, which is Kathy's medical textbooks and personal belongings were thrown into the trash compactor. And, you know, these medical textbooks, they're, they're huge. They're very, very thick and they're heavy. And I can, I can imagine that it would easily jam up big machine like that up. And I remember like the look on her face when she was describing that she discovered that these were Kathy's medical textbooks. She opened them up and saw her name written inside one of the pages. For me, this was pretty significant. At this point, it was going to be really hard for me to believe that she had disappeared. And that Bob had nothing to do with it. When someone disappears, you don't get rid of their stuff a couple of days later. That, for me, was very significant and very powerful. 
right around that same time that you heard Karen Minatello's testimony, you also heard Miriam Barnes testify about what Susan Berman told her, that if anything happens to me, Bobby did it. So, I mean, she also knew that something big was happening. She looked frightened on the stand, and she looked worried for her friend. So Susan, uh, she described her as coming down. She was very panicked and told her, you know, there's something I got to tell you. She said, you know, she paced back and forth, and she had a hard time, like, actually saying it. But she finally did, and she said... If something ever happens to me, Bobby did it. And then, like, she has some sort of relief. That's how she describes it. But she looked like she was afraid to say anything more. And then I think she said she she left right after that. So she wasn't able to get more information. Linda Obst, tell me about your response to her testimony. Oh, she was great. I really enjoyed listening to her. I really liked... When she said, you're not a a very interesting person. Your father and your grandfather were interesting, but not you. (laughs) She said that to Robert Durst. And she was referring to his sense of entitlement and importance. Like, oh, look at me. I'm a, here I am. I'm a a billionaire. And she said, well, you know, that's, who cares? That's not very impressive. You didn't do anything to become a millionaire. This was your father and your grandfather. You're just there. Anyway, I, I, I like that when she said that. But her testimony, it really showed us what Susan was like professionally. I think, you know, she had all these projects going on and they were going on for a long time. She said that they, they met like on a regular basis to develop her story. And it was interesting that she served like multiple roles. Like Linda seemed to be like her partner and co-writer and co-producer, I want to say, in that project, that big project that they were working on. But she was also like her psychologist, which is kind of weird, like her counselor, maybe. She, she said she spent like countless hours talking with her. And I think she like gathered a pretty significant amount of data. And I think she was in a position to like understand Susan pretty well out of like, everyone else that knew her because of of the work that they had done to a book or a movie they were making or something. But it was pretty extensive. And I thought some of the conclusions that she had come to were, were pretty interesting. She did say that she thought maybe Susan's relationship with Bob was that maybe Susan was in love with him at some point. I thought that was interesting. Also, she thought she saw him as, you know, having similarities with her father. And so she, she was drawn to him for that. But, you know, she, she's not a, a, a psychologist and she wasn't offering that information as a professional. It was just as a friend, I think, making observations. But I thought she was intelligent. I thought the information that she had was quite good she had a lot of details because she had been documenting. So uh, for that reason, she was able to offer a lot of details in her testimony. Lorraine Newman, do you remember seeing her testimony? Oh, absolutely. Lorraine talked about how she became friends with Susan. She described her personality and, you know, it was very similar to how other people had described her. 
very grand, gregarious. Anyway, so they, they became uh, friends on uh, SNL and they remain friends. And in fact, I think she said she helped her out financially before her death. I remember her testifying about the phone call to the dean. And again, Elizabeth Loftus tried to discredit her memory of that by uh, talking about her previous drug use. Now we return to my interview with juror number two, John Okanishi, and hear his memories of these same witnesses. There was testimony both from Karen Minatello, who was the apartment manager in the West Side apartment where the Dursts lived, as well as uh, one of the housekeepers in their South Salem home who testified about Robert Durst disposing of Kathy's belongings very shortly after her disappearance. Did that make an impact on you personally? Absolutely. You know, I think the fact that, you know, at some point, Robert Durst, his wife was was missing, that he would conduct actions which would, you know, suggest he didn't think she was ever coming back was very indicative of, you know, he he really knew, you know, what happened to her. You know, he was the cause. So the fact that uh, you know, he threw all her medical books, you know, down the uh, the garbage chute was a strong indicator that yeah, he knew she was gone forever. I want to talk about some of the witnesses who testified about hearing Susan say that she had provided Bobby with an alibi in Kathy's disappearance. Particularly, I want to ask about Miriam Barnes and Lorraine Newman. What did you feel about the credibility of those witnesses? Right. So we heard from several you know, witnesses that Susan Berman had told all of them that she was an alibi for Bobby, you know, for something, or for others that Susan Berman was an alibi for was so potentially harmful to Durst that, you know, their their lives might be in danger. This is all very consistent. And it would be people who, you know, when Susan Berman might have mentioned it to them at the time, you know, they really didn't think much of it. They really didn't think very much of it at the time. But, you know, in retrospect, you know, they, you know, they go back and they try to remember, gosh, you know, there was something that she had on uh, Robert Durst that she was potentially uh, helping him, you know, cover up. I think Lorraine Newman was the most, you know, moving testimony, you know, in that she admitted that at one point, you know, this is something that, you know, she really needs to, you know, go to the police with. There was another witness. I forget her name, but she was the uh, the Hollywood producer. Oh, yes. Linda Obst. Yes, Linda Oaks. You know, she said that for someone, you know, in her position, publicity, like, you know, being a, a witness in a murder trial is just not good at all, you know, for someone in her position in the entertainment industry. So I think you had all of these people who Susan Berman admitted to you know, some type of participation in, in covering up something bad that happened. You know, they, they didn't, you know, know it was a, a murder, but they knew that she was an alibi in some capacity that, you know, once all the facts of the case started coming together, all of these people, they realized, oh my gosh, I know something that might point to Robert Durst's guilt in murders. But no one really wanted to stick their neck out because they just figured, oh, you know, there's there's other more compelling, you know, witnesses that would probably step forward. So, you know, what they have to add isn't isn't really so important. It's, you know, they know they should do the right thing, but they don't want to do the right thing only because 
of the publicity, potentially, you know, betraying someone who thought they might be their friend or past acquaintance, i.e. Robert Durst. So they just didn't say anything at the time. And I think Lorraine Newman, when she was, uh, you know, testifying there in person, the amount of guilt and regret upon her, it was like, you know, she was haunted by it. Let's talk about Douglas Durst's testimony. Do you have any strong recollections from him taking the stand? Yeah, the main thing about um, Douglas Durst is, yeah, he was really of the belief that his life was in danger, that his his brother would uh, would murder him. And uh, the thing that really made that more credible to me was some of the, uh, the jailhouse calls that um, Robert Durst had with his wife, Deborah Cheriton, where, you know, they were going to make it seem as if, you know, Douglas Durst, you know, knew something about, you know, Kathy's disappearance that, you know, he he, he knew that it was uh, Robert Durst had something to do with it. And, you know, for the sake of the family, they wanted to you know, sweep it un- under the rug. So if they were going to, you know, do that, it really shows the amount of hatred that Robert Durst had for his younger brother. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. We are now going to relive some of the impactful moments mentioned by Carmen and John in their reflections. First, we are going to hear from Karen Minatello. Ms. Minatello is questioned by Deputy DA Eugene Miata. They told me that the compactor was all jammed up, so I went down into the basement, into the compactor room, and the porters were pulling out clothes, books, personal possessions uh, that were jamming up and broke the machine. And aside from from clothing, you said, and and books, Can you tell me what else that you saw or that you remember there seeing? Was, there was notebooks. There was, you know, personal personal items, hair dryers, makeup, uh, clothing. Okay. And did you make an attempt to, to try to identify whose belongings those might have been in the trash compactor? Yeah, I picked up a book. Okay. What, what type of book? I think, like it a a no- I think it was a notebook or a textbook. Okay. And what did that tell you? It had Kathy's name in it. Kathy Durst? Yes. I'd never observed that before. Many people threw out trash. Not clothing and books. Those items aren't supposed to go down the compactor. It's machine that packs 
precious things. Okay, well, is it fair to say that that uh, during your your many years as a as a building manager that you've dealt with with uh, jam compactors before? This is the only one I remember that was significant. And why is it that you remember this one over over anyone, like over any other incident? I mean, who does that? Does what? Who dare, who, whose wife, whose loved one is missing and they throw up their stuff? Next, we hear testimony from Susan Berman's neighbor and friend, Miriam Barnes. Ms. Barnes is questioned by Deputy DA Habib Balian. I got the phone call from Susan to come up to her apartment right away. What exactly did she say when she was summoning you up to her apartment? She needed to talk to me. Okay. Was there anything out of the ordinary about the way she summoned you up to her apartment? It was a sense of urgency. She was, it, it took her a while to get it out. She was very nervous. And when Susan got nervous, she would pick at her lips. And, it, it, and she said, I did something today and did it for Bobby. And then her next statement was, if anything ever happened to me, Bobby did it. Eventually, at some point, did you read about, hear about in the media Kathleen, Kathleen Gersh's disappearance in, the New York, in New York? Yeah. And was it a big story at the time in New York? Yeah. And did you, that time period that you read and heard about it, was that uh, generally the same time period that this conversation took place? Like the same year? Yes, of course. Okay. Within the same weeks? Yeah. These next excerpts are from the testimony of Susan Berman's friend, Linda Obst. Obst is questioned by Deputy DA John Lewin. She once told me that she called Albert Einstein Medical Center for him and, and said she was Kathy. It came up in the context of she did the sorts of things for Bobby that Gladys did for Davy. And the example that she gave was that when Bobby was asked her to or needed her to, she made this phone call to Albert Einstein and Kathy's name. In terms of publicity for yourself, given your position and what you do, is this the kind of thing that is in any way helpful to your career? On the contrary. Can you explain? It is not good for a movie producer to be associated with a murder trial. And in the end, if I were to ask you, can you tell us, why are you here? For justice. Next, we have excerpts from the testimony of Susan Berman's friend, Lorraine Newman. Newman and Berman met when Susan was writing a story about the original cast of Saturday Night Live, and Newman was a member of that cast. She is questioned by Deputy DA John Lewin. Were you aware as to the nature of Susan and Bob's relationship in terms of what she said? In other words, did she represent that Bob was a boyfriend kind of guy, or a close friend, or like a brother? How would she refer to him? As a close friend, almost like a brother. And in the way that she spoke about Bob Durst, was there anybody else that she appeared to speak as much about in her life? Honestly, he was up there. I mean, he was certainly among the people she spoke the most about. Do you recall if you knew back then that Bob Durst was married. I don't recall that at all. 
And if I were to ask you when I say the name Kathy Durst, you know who she is today, is that correct? I do, yes. Do you know how you found out that she had disappeared? Susan told me that she had provided an alibi for her, for him, for Bobby, uh, in relation to the disappearance. And can you tell me specifically what do you remember her saying to you about that? Uh, not specifically, no. So to the best of your memory, and I'm going to ask for a direct quote, what did she say to you about what, if anything, she had done with respect to Kathy's disappearance? That she had provided an alibi for Bobby. And, you know, it's vague, but I remember her saying that she made a phone call. And do you recall her using, to the best of your memory, the word alibi? Yeah, I think she did. I'm not 100% sure, but yes. And do you recall, to the best of your memory, her saying that she had made a phone call for Bob? Yes. If I were to ask you, um, how certain are you, not regarding the time, but how certain are you that Susan said to you that she had provided Bob with an alibi, what would your response be? 100%. And in discussing this alibi, did she indicate to you whether or not, in other words, this was a, an actual alibi or whether she had done something false? It was something false. And if I were to ask you, how sure are you with respect to Susan saying that in providing this alibi, it had been in making a phone call. 100%. And finally, we have trial audio related to juror John Okanishi's reflections on the testimony of Robert Durst's brother, Douglas. Were you afraid of your brother? Yes, I was. Why were you afraid of your brother? My brother kept a very large ranch with a sharp point on his desk, uh, which could be considered a weapon. And at that time, in response, did you yourself secure a weapon of, uh, uh, as well? I, I secured a, something I thought would defend me against uh, any attack, but not a weapon. So I'm a, I'm a, a, ladies and gentlemen, I'm receiving this for a limited purpose. This is not to judge Mr. Robert Durr's character. This is uh, admitted for the credibility of this witness to understand uh, his, his better understand his testimony and judge his credibility. So you may continue. And I want to be clear, your brother at no point threatened you with, with a weapon or tried to attack you. No, at no point did he threaten me with a weapon. As a result of this litigation, was there eventually a settlement where um, your brother Bob was paid tens of millions of dollars and basically bought out of any of the family business, any of the trusts? That is correct. When approximately did this occur? 2006. Has your brother made it clear in his actions, things he said, things you have heard, that he holds animosity towards you as a result of that settlement? Yes, I've heard uh, things that have been said that lead me to believe he's not happy with the settlement. In things you've listened to, dealings you've had, statements you've been made aware of, has your brother indicated how he feels about you to this day? Yes. And what are those feelings? He'd like to murder me. And are you aware of your brother, in fact, making calls from Pennsylvania discussing that very subject? I am aware of that, yes. Did you take those, and this is a yes or no question, do you take those threats seriously? Yes, I did. After 
your brother jumped bail in Galveston and was on the run from authorities. Did you become aware that he had shown up at your home in Katona? Yes, I did. And at that time, did you already have fear of your brother regarding your safety and your family's safety? Yes, I did. And pursuant to that fear, did you have private security that worked for you and would guard you and your family at all times? Yes, I did. So on that day, did you become aware that Mr. Durst had shown up uninvited at your home in Katona? Yes, I did. And at that point in time, on that date, did you actually see him? No, I did not. Were you made aware by your security people that he had come to your house? Yes. And when you found out he had come to your house, what was your response? I, I was frightened and concerned for my family. And here is the jailhouse call that Mr. Okanishi referenced between Robert Durst and Deborah Chariton. Durst refers to a writer named Lisa DePaolo, who took a job as a maid for Janine Pirro when Pirro was Westchester County prosecutor. DePaolo reported that Pirro was looking at Douglas Durst as an accomplice to his brother in Kathy Durst's murder. Her, anyway, so Lisa DePaolo says she moved into Janine Pirro's. I said that. She was like a maid. May I shift with opinion about whether or not Douglas helped me dispose of the body? I understand. I love it. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I think, though, is that Douglas may be behind Lisa DePaolo. Wow. Oh, that's Janine Pirro who must think that Douglas is, uh... Oh, yes. That concludes this bonus episode of Jury Duty. Join us on our next episode as we hear from Carmen and John about their memories of the testimonies of witnesses who were especially close to Susan Berman. We will also hear their reflections on the verdict of a jury in Galveston, Texas, that Robert Durst was not guilty of the murder of Morris Black. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Terracombe. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.